All right, here we go. It is uh, episode 70 of Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Martinez with you. Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period, thefourthperiod.com, at ADeMarco25 on Twitter. And we've got a bunch to talk about today, Ant. There's, um, we're sitting here. The cup has been handed out. It's June 14th. Cup was handed out on 13th. Vegas Gold Knights, uh, congrats to them. And we've got a lot of hockey to talk. It's like kind of rainy here. Today. We're finally getting some rain. Uh, rainy here in the Delaware Valley, or is uh, John DeBell- the DeBellaware Valley? What's it like up there in uh, uh, Montreal in the province of Quebec? It's actually sunny here today. Uh, we're expecting rain tomorrow, so I guess we're going to get hit with whatever you guys were, uh, whatever you guys are dealing with right now. But uh, all in all, I think that uh, it's we're finally going to get some more summer-ish weather. Uh, What's the weather sun- like this weekend? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I got a, I got an interest in the weather this weekend for one reason. Grand Prix. Imagine, yeah. It's the Grand Canadian Prix. Grand Prix this weekend up in uh, Montreal. I'm actually looking going? now. It seemed to, I'm looking at my phone now. It seemed that on Saturday, it's Friday night into Saturday that we're going to get destroyed with the rain. So okay. it might be a, a wet little race, but I, I know that uh, Montreal is buzzing. It's always a great time downtown on Crescent Street and on Park Jean Drapeau uh, for the Grand Prix. Uh, it's one of the staples here in Montreal during the summertime, that's for sure. I'm a real idiot. You bought a new house. I should have been coming up there. We should be doing this uh, show face-to-face today. I should be up there in preparation yeah. for uh, free practice one coming up on Friday. And staying at A. DeMarco's house. Me and my son could have come up. Yeah, we talked about it a bit. I guess it never yeah. uh, came to I'm fruition. Nice. But uh, you couldn't get the time off or what? No, I time off. Kid me. It's the off season. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bu- book it for next year. We're coming up for the Canadian Grand Prix. I still have not seen an F1 race in person. But um, it, I digress. Um, let's start with the, the news. Ant. And the latest news is that the Flyers made a hiring yesterday to their hockey operations department. Did not see this coming at all. Philadelphia Flyers named Patrick Sharp as a special advisor to hockey operations. Uh, Sharp, he's going to handle, you know, he's obviously going to be an advisor to Danny Briere and the hockey operations department. Also going to have a big, big, you know, focus on player development with Flyers prospects. And we've talked about player development and there's been a ton of turnover there. Uh, But did you see Patrick Sharp coming into the mix, uh, coming from Chicago in the broadcast booth? Nope, uh, completely out of left field for me. I started hearing whispers about it probably around 10.30, 10.45 yesterday morning. And then I cor- got a corroborated with several other people. And all of a sudden you have uh, Patrick Sharp uh, named as the special advisor to hockey ops. And it happened right as I was sitting down in the chair at TSN 690 at the radio station. And I mean, look, it's it just goes to further indicate how much of the player development has been an issue in the eyes of Danny Breer and probably Keith Jones, and that they're really addressing it. Like the offseason so far has been primarily been about rather restructuring that side of the front office. Like you see Mike O'Connell, Al Samuelson, John Riley let go. You, Shell you Samuelson. Point, Shell Samuelson. Al Samuelson. Didn't play here, but for a brief period. <laughs> Yeah, Shell you know. Samuelson, that's it. Okay. Um, you see Riley Armstrong take over as director of player development. Nick Schultz gets an elevated role. And now you have Patrick Sharp come in, whose main task, as you alluded to, will be dealing with the younger players and help- helping in on the player development side. And aside from that, you get Alan McCauley now operating somewhat as the de facto general manager of the Lehigh Valley Phantom. So 
it's clear that with the Flyers looking towards the future and in the middle of a rebuild, that they really are prioritizing what's going to go on in their development system and what will be going on in Lehigh Valley. Yeah, I had Alan's on um, today's, <clears throat> excuse me, Flyers Daily episode. I taped him, I think, last Friday. A 40-minute conversation. With him. He's a fascinating guy. You know, he, he's a guy that scored 90 goals in his last basically 100 games in junior. Then he gets to the NHL and finds it's hard to score. You know, that's crazy to me that you can – he was the CHL player of the year playing for the 67s, and then he goes to the NHL, but he wasn't going to play that role there. And talking about today's athletes and everything. And Now, Sharp's a guy that ended his career in 2018. Here's the numbers on Sharp, by the way, uh, for his playing career. He, he was drafted in the third round by the Flyers. He went a very today route to the NHL, not when he was playing that wasn't necessarily the go. So drafted uh, in the 2001 draft um, in 95th overall. He played two years in the USHL. Then he went to the University of Vermont for two years and then joined the Phantoms uh, in 2002-2003. was on that Calder Cup winning team as well. Played 66 games for the Flyers and all said and done, 939 uh, regular season games. He had 287 goals, 333 assists, 620 points. And played uh, 749 games over 11 seasons for the Blackhawks. By the way, won three cups. Had really good numbers in the playoffs in 130-some games, I believe. He had like 70 points. Um, so he, he had a really good playing career. And he's the case in point to be patient with players developing. Because they he only played 66 games here. Was Hitch at the time. Wasn't buying in on it. Hitch loved playing veterans. And that cost him Patrick Sharp. And that was a period of time where the Flyers really were not developing a lot of homegrown talent, right? Like at the tail end of the Bob Clark era, obviously when yeah. you got into the Homer era, you saw the emergence of guys like Carter and Richards and Umberger. But with the exception of that 03 draft and maybe RJ Umberger, you weren't seeing a lot of guys come up like Yoni picking in, uh, had a decent career. Randy Jones scratched the surface. And it's just crazy to think that one of the few guys that really turned into maybe not a star, but an upper echelon player in the NHL who went on to be a core piece in Chicago's dynasty, winning three cups in six years, obviously not accounting for the off ice stuff, but you know, it's crazy that they traded him away and for Matt Ellison of all sorts. And I believe a draft pick was thrown in there that turned into Ryan white. I believe Anthony Sanfilippo told me earlier today, we had a short yeah. discussion about it. So, I mean, it, it really is kind of like apropos and poetic that it comes all the way full circle here. And now a guy who was given up on way too early by the Flyers 18 years ago is now going to be help, giving a helping hand in the Flyers player development. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about player development. It's been a huge gripe and a huge issue for the fan base. The Flyers, you know, Flyers Twitter, if you just type in Flyers development, you know, there you'll find thousands and thousands of tweets about the inability to develop players properly on a good trajectory to the NHL to achieve and sometimes go beyond what they're capable of. And they have made a lot of moves and to change the development process, to change the way they approach development with players. I remember talking to Lappy earlier this year. I mentioned it with you on here that we were talking about the, the young defenseman that came over Emil Andre who joined us on this show. And Lappy said, Danny wants all the guys to spend time with me here in the AHL to develop. And, you know, that 
is a different approach. Now, if I mean, if you draft a player and he's just ticketed for the NHL, like Cutter Gauthier, he might be after this college season, then you usurp that. But generally speaking, that's the process. And this change in player development, look, it's got to yield results, but they, they're basically their admission now at this point that there was an issue and they've done a lot to change it. And look, there are exceptions to every rule. Like you just said with cutter goats, say, will he go to the phantoms next year? Maybe, maybe not. But if he jumps, he is a fifth overall pick. And sometimes those types of guys are exceptions to the rules, but where the flyers are picking, you know, you have a fifth overall pick last year. You're going to have a seventh overall pick this year. It's not like you're drafting a generational talent that is a slam dunk to just leapfrog the AHL uh, step in terms of development. And look, the Flyers have nothing but time right now, obviously within reason. But I think this year and next year, you're not really going to be looking for the Flyers to, you know, contend for a Stanley Cup or anything like that. You're still trying to figure out what you have. And I think that this year specifically, the Phantoms aren't going to see a lot of graduations from the NCAA or junior. I think it's only Ethan Sampson and uh, uh, J.R. Avon, I believe his name is, Mm -hmm. uh, that are going to be graduations from the CHL. And then obviously you get the defenseman that they acquired in the Ivan Provorov trade coming over. But beside that, it's a lot of the same cast of characters, also assuming what they do, uh, assuming what they do with the RFAs, uh, Wyatt Wiley being one of them, and I believe uh, Jackson Cates being another. But I think this is a good opportunity for the existing players who are coming back from last season to try and further their development. And if they can't get it together, I think this time next year, the pressure will be on when you're going to have a new wave of guys, maybe from the 2021 and 2022 drafts that are going to be making their way into the uh, the AHL system. One of the things, Ant, that you know, kind of reared its head once again yesterday was the fact that he's a former flyer. You know, I put out when when the news broke that, you know, Patrick Sharp was coming in and the role and blah, blah, blah. And I got uh, a response from Yambag, 021, Yambag. Um, and he said, why is it always former flyers? I'm getting flashbacks that we wanted the flyers to clean, clean house of all the old boys network. Now it's just not as old boys. And, you know, I responded to that and said, it's not always former flyers. Uh, plus, Patrick Sharp, you know, played 939 games, won three cups, 749 games for the Blackhawks, and he played 66 games here. And, you know, you wanted, and I said, you want to change, you're getting it, tons of it, maybe give it a chance. And some people push back on what I said, too, and they say, you know, why do we need to give it a chance? They haven't won a cup in however many years, blah, blah, blah. But here's the fact of the matter, is if you look in front offices and you find, you see the guys that are at the top, they hire people that they know their character. They've gone through battles with them. You know, you see this in every organization that people that have touch points and let's face it, you know, some people pointed out, well, Chuck Fletcher wasn't uh, a form, had any ties to the organization. And then people like, well, Bob Clark knew his dad, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's what, okay. But everybody in the NHL is entangled now hack and somebody brought up hack and they go, well, he wasn't, and we go, well, hack still had a relationship with him. Hextall's kid played for him. I mean, come on. Like, this happens in every organization. AV didn't have any. Michelle, Mike Tarion didn't have any connection, did he? Other than Kevin Hayes. You know, this happens everywhere. That you have players that played for a team working for that team. Iserman, Drury, they're all over the league. I mean, look at the GMs in today's game. Most of them probably played 
or have some immediate connection to that team. And look at what happened in Calgary, Craig Conroy, a guy who is like as purebred a Calgary flame as you can get. And then right away, the rumors start circulating. Like is Ginla going to join the front office? Is Tangy going to join the front office? So you're absolutely right. It happens all the time. And, you know, this is just my opinion. I don't consider guys who played less than a hundred games, like a former flyer, yeah. Like, I, I don't know, like, th- th- that's like saying, like, like I'm just going to try and pull out like a random name out. Uh, who's a guy who was like, is Billy Leno a former flyer, you know, like that type mm-hmm. of thing. So I, I don't really get caught up too much in that. I just think more about like, I guess you could correlate the, you know, Dan and Keith Jones stuff to being former flyers. But this is just relationships. And I think mm-hmm. one of the biggest reasons they wanted Keith Jones was because of all the relationships he had built in the NHL through not just his playing time, but his broadcasting time. And obviously there's a direct correlation to Patrick Sharp through the NBC uh, sports broadcast. And another example of, you know, I don't think it's nepotism, but just like relationships leading to jobs. Look who was just hired as the assistant general manager in Pittsburgh today. Jason Spezza in in the least shocking uh, hiring of the the summer so far, in my opinion. You know, we really know him and Dubas are Foxhole guys. So uh, if you want to say that you don't like that, you know, friends are helping friends or you're pulling on past relationships, I get it, even though it happens all the time. I disagree, but I could at least understand where you're coming from. But the former flyer stuff with Patrick Sharp, that I don't really buy into just because he hasn't been part of the organization in any former fashion. in What is it? 17, 18 years. And along with the fact that he's played 66 games. Yeah. You know, at the age of like four general managers ago. So I think that's a bit of a stretch to pull on. Yeah, his trading in a way almost led to Danny Briere being here. They had that awful year, hitches last year. Yep. And that's when Briere comes in and things turned at that point. You know, the other thing too is think about how we approach jobs, you know, in our professional lives. It's not who you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yep. You know, that's. It's all about relationships. That's how you get jobs. It's why when you're looking for a job, you connect with somebody on LinkedIn. And when they're not even hiring, that's when, when, when a company's not hiring, that's when you hit them. That's when you begin the relationship. Yeah. Because when they're hiring, they're inundated. And you're just one of another person trying to get the job that they have posted. I've always said, told this to young broadcasters. You want to get a job in radio, start building the relationship with the decision makers there when they're not hiring. That's when you do it so that when they are hiring, you're right at the top of the stack because you've impressed them. But anyway, and it really is all about relationships and connections and how you sell yourself. And it's easy to say like, oh, you know, let's just go through the typical hiring process and the vetting process and you know, what they did to find a, a president of hockey ops and bring in agency firms and all this, or that's kind of redundant, but just agencies or firms, I should say. But sometimes you just have to go based on your gut and you don't have the time and the resources to do an entire vetting process for positions that maybe aren't as prominent as a president or a general manager or, or a coach. And look, I don't think Patrick Sharp's going to be a guy that's at Voorhees every day. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's in on every trade call or influencing every decision. I think he's just going to be what the title suggests, a special advisor and specifically help out on the development side of things. Yeah, I think he's going to be bopping around to different areas. Maybe he's going to go look at players at points. Maybe he's going to pop on the ice for player development sessions or those strategy sessions on 
you know, how are we going to develop player X third round pick from the 2021, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. I think that he's going to be involved in, in a lot of areas and a trusted advisor for Danny Briere. So, so with that said, and what is the pecking order of the hockey operations? All right. We'll start with Dan Hilferty. We know that he is the CEO. He is the big boss. Number two is Keith Jones. Cause he's the president of hockey operations. Then it's Danny Briere. And how does it fall after that? You know, I've gotten the sense lately that, you know, we know under Chuck Fletcher, it was Chuck and it was Brent Flair. And Brent Flair held the title of executive vice president and AGM and was Chuck's right-hand man going back to Minnesota. And then you had Barry Hanrahan, who also held both titles of EVP and AGM, and he was kind of right under Brent Flair. That's what the assumption was of most. I get the feeling now, and this is more just gut and like grapevine speak and all this, that Alan McCauley has kind of shot his way up the ranks here. Obviously gets the new title as assistant general manager, is now tasked with overseeing the the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And look, this is again just me kind of spitballing. Like I haven't been told this or heard this, but it feels like he's kind of on a fast track to become Danny Breer's right-hand man. Maybe it's too early to say that, but that just seems to be where the direction is going. And not to say that Brent Flair isn't playing an important factor anymore. It just feels that maybe they're pulling back some responsibilities. You know, he was tasked with being, you know, the unofficial GM of the Phantom sometimes and overseeing the amateur scouting and running the draft and being Chuck's right-hand man on NHL-level decision-making. And now it feels like Brent Flair is going to just be tasked with primarily the amateur scouting and overseeing the draft. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but maybe his, his, um, his rank in the pecking order has been scaled back a bit for Barry Hanrahan. I don't know if much change, like, I mean, to honestly, like we've heard a lot of smoke around um, Barry Hanrahan and his job security. I think that a lot of that was a bit overblown. Was it probably talked about? I would imagine so, but I think for now he's okay. And I think maybe he just stays laterally and just kind of deals with the cap and all that. So I think that after Briere, you'd probably have Macaulay, you would have Brent Flair, then Hanrahan, and then you have Tom Minton somewhere kicking around as well. So Tom Minton, I think his actual title is director of hockey operations, if I'm not mistaken. And then you have Ian Anderson and so forth. So, I mean, uh, it feels like Alan McCauley is the guy that's right under Danny Breer and Keith Jones right now. Interesting. Um, I talked to Alan on today's, on today's Flyers Daily again about the use of analytics and, you know, where he is on analytics. And, you know, he, he uses both the analytics and the eye test, he said. And, and I thought, I think this is the way to use analytics as a tool not a religion, but a, but a tool that you can go to. He said, you know, sometimes when you look at a player, I go, I'm looking at a player and then I look at the analytics and they're saying this and I'm going, okay, maybe I need to look at this a different way, you know, and, and approach it from a different lens of evaluation on a specific player, whether that's one of your players or a player you're looking at to acquire or whatever it might be. So I thought that that was interesting that, you know, you got to be able to use both things. And sometimes the eye test will win out. Sometimes the analytics will wear it, win out. But you got to use them in conjunction and to complement each other as well. Um, you, you know, they've the cup got handed out last night. We're going to talk about that at the, before this episode ends about the cup final. But 
as as of before the cup was even handed out last night, Dave Scott out replaced by Dan Helferty. Chuck Fletcher's out replaced by Danny Briere and Keith Jones. You've got a whole new player development department. Valerie Camillo has resigned her position. There's a lot of change here all before the cup was even handed out, not to mention the trade of Ivan Provorov and the smoke around a lot of other flyers. Are you surprised, Amp, with the, the rapid approach that they have taken here this offseason? We've talked about it. Sometimes you don't announce changes during the playoffs or the cup final. The Flyers have had significant change, and the cup just was handed out last night. I think off the ice, it was somewhat expected. You know, I think on some level, some people were expecting bigger changes like Brent Flair and Barry Hanrahan to be gassed as well. But we've seen them really more so just tackle some internal promotions and specifically the player development side. But obviously at the top of the organization, we got a bombshell job by Anthony Sanfilippo about the resignation of Val Camillo which obviously came as a bit of a shock given the fact that she was presented as part of the leadership group a month ago when they introduced um, Keith Jones and Danny Briere. But I mean, off the ice, I think it was expected and you could have expected more in a lot of ways based on what, what era we were coming out of on the ice. I mean, roster wise, I should say, I was pretty surprised that Danny Briere was able to pull off such a significant move right away being Ivan Provorov and there's just been a ton of smoke surrounding a lot of players you know we could touch on Carter Hart we could touch on Scott Lawton we could touch on Travis Konechny and it feels like Danny Breer has made it very clear to his contemporaries that he's open for business and he yeah. said that publicly you know he has made that no secret we're open for business yeah that he's listening on everybody and it just goes to show that the Flyers do have a lot of attractive players and they've already dealt one and gotten a decent return. And you have a few other guys that could probably net you a bit more. And it feels like the Flyers have gotten so much interest that they're kind of in the driver's seat and have been able to tell some teams like, you know what, we're going to sit back and see what the, what more, what other cards are dealt between now and the NHL draft in uh, two weeks time. Maybe that's the biggest difference right now between Chuck Fletcher and Danny Briere is that Danny has managed to turn a team that's open for business into one that has not lost hand in the negotiation of, of trading players, you know, with what's been out there around Lawton, Hart, Hayes, connect me, D'Angelo, and we'll go through these guys. And they, they, are maybe a little bit more in the driver's seat for a team that's open for business than one that, and then you saw obviously the deal for Provorov and the return that he's managed to somehow create the, you know, the power structure of a deal, not being desperate to deal somebody. Cause that's when you get, you, you just don't get anything done. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about individual players and, and what's the latest on them. Scott Lawton's the name that's been out there. And, um, you know, I, I think he's a player that they weren't looking to move. And I think maybe they were surprised at the amount of interest and value they can get in return for Scott Lawton. He's obviously the only guy that wore a letter on his jersey this past season. The coach loves him. He is a, a very good player that can move into a lot of different spots, kind of that Swiss Army knife, play wing, play center, can kill penalties, can move around in your lineup, and is a good leader and a guy, lead by example guy. So, 
you know, he, he's good to have for the younger guys here, but the value equation may usurp that and make it too valuable given the current situation to move a 29 year old player. Yeah. So Scott Lawton's a guy that has drawn more interest than I think I would have expected. And maybe a lot of people would have, because at the end of the day, what is Scott Lawton on a cup contending team, a third line winger four C something of that ilk, but obviously there are a lot of intangibles that come along with Scott Lawton. And as you just alluded to, what was indicative of that was him being the only guy to wear a letter under John Tortorella's first season behind the bench in Philadelphia. So the, the latest I've heard on Scott Lawton, and as I tweeted about over the weekend, um, there were teams that showed interest in him. Uh, I think the teams that showed the most were um, the Ottawa Senators, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I even believe the the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I believe Elliot Friedman alluded to this, that once upon a time, believe it was two trade deadlines ago, Kyle Dubas came close to requiring Scott Lawton when he was the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs when Lawton was on the expiring deal before he signed the five-year extension with the Philadelphia Flyers. So I, I think, you know, trading him to a division rival, even though at this point, who really cares? You're in a rebuild. There are no real rivals when you're in a rebuild. Is obviously maybe a tough sell from an optics point of view, but I think it's more what would Pittsburgh be given up? And I think the only thing that Pittsburgh would really have that would intrigue the Flyers is their first round pick. I believe it's number 15, 14 in that range. And I don't know if Pittsburgh's willing to do that. In the case of Toronto, um, I was told that they have turned down late round first round picks. Uh, for Scott Lawton, and I haven't been told this specifically, but I've heard through the grapevine that that was Toronto's uh, first-round pick that is actually belongs to Boston. And then to- Ottawa's the All interesting Boston's one. round pick. Yeah, Boston's first-round pick that they yeah. acquired from Washington for Rasmus Sandin, and Washington acquired for Dmitry Orlov. So that yeah. pick was be- 14, is- by the way, but yeah. Penguins is 14. So I think that the 14th pick would move the needle for Scott Lawton, but I don't know the 28th would at this point. And then Ottawa's interesting, right? Because they don't have a lot in the way of draft capital this year. Next year, they have the 2024 first round pick. A lot of their prospects who are worth a damn, I think have already graduated to the, to the, um, to the NHL. I've heard some chatter that any one of their prospects with the exception of Ridley Gregg would be up for grabs. My 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 eyes kind of go to Tyler Boucher and Lassie Thompson. I'm not sure if that gets it done from a Flyers point of view. I think that they would want to hold out for a Ridley Gregg. But if you're looking at an Ottawa, I think it's more of prospects that are maybe close to being NHL ready as opposed to draft capital, just because I don't think Ottawa has a draft pick in each of the first two rounds this year. Yeah, one of them was probably in that chicken deal. Yeah, one of them was. I think both of them could have been in the chicken deal, if I'm not mistaken. And then they they don't have a pick in each of the first three rounds this year. And the third round pick, I believe, was last year for Alex DeBrincat. So you had so you you've had a few picks go by the wayside in Ottawa. But the thing is, is that I know that they don't want to give up a Ridley Gregg. If I'm a betting man, that's the guy the Flyers want. But with the new ownership in Ottawa, I wonder if Pierre Dorian gets desperate to improve the team. And yeah. That was Peter Dorian even going to be the guy? That's it. And, you know, he got a bit desperate last year and yep. he goes out and takes a big swing on Alex to Brinkat. And 
I mean, did it work? Didn't it? Is he going to sign? Who knows? But are you going to take another big swing on a Scott Lawton? Obviously, there's the connection there with Claude Giroux. I believe DJ Smith coached uh, Lawton. He did with in Oshawa. The, yeah, with the Generals. So there's a and he's from uh, he's from the Belleville area, if I'm not mistaken, or Oshawa around that area, which is what four or five hours down the road from Ottawa. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of connections for uh, Scott Lawton, and that's a team that lacked depth last year. You know, when Josh Norris went down and you had to bump Shane Pinto up into their top six, I think it was the depth forwards that really kind of did Ottawa in, aside from the defense and the goaltending, but from a forward perspective. So a guy who can play center, can be play wing, can kind of move up and down your lineup. I think Scott Lawton would check a lot of boxes. Obviously, a young team, you could always use an extra veteran who can play a decent role. So I think Ottawa's the team that shows the most value, but... It's a question of do they, yeah, Yeah. they don't have the draft capital and do you have the right prospects to move the needle? I I can't see Penguins swinging that deal with the 14th overall pick for a team that desperately needs to restock the cupboard. You got a good draft and they're going to trade 14. That would be, I mean, if the Penguins offered that, Dubas is on the phone. I run to Pittsburgh with a contract to sign that and I run right to the league central register to put it in for the 14th overall pick. I mean, then you'd have yeah. 7, 14, and 22. <laughs> yeah, that'd be insane. That would be insane. And I think that maybe they – it feels like they've told teams, like, come talk to us at the draft again. So I think that from a Flyers perspective, they're saying, like, we don't have to trade this guy. And, look, I'm not saying anything profound here or revolutionary. We know, you know, Free just talked about it. You've talked about it. Like, you know, ASF has talked about it. Like they value Lawton's leadership qualities. They value what he brings in the room. He's a great guy for for the younger players. We get all that. But at a certain point, there is something called like uh, a deal that you can't refuse. And it feels like based on how much interest there's been early on, that it may get to that point between now and the draft in two weeks time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, oof crazy um what you may be able to get for him what about toronto that 28th pick and nick robertson i know you brought him up i know fridge brought him up after that um that he's a guy he obviously dealt with some some injuries last year i think it was a shoulder uh but when you look at toronto and maybe nick robinson 28 and him for scott lawton is that something that may still be in the cards because i mean even if you have 7 22 and 28 and then there's a player sitting there around 17 or 18 that you maybe you had ranked in your top 10, 12, and you can move up to grab them, could be a really big boon in this draft. Is that still in play with Bradtree Living as the GM there now? I mean, uh, certainly more so than Matthew Nyes, which, I mean, a lot of people tried to throw his name out there, but I don't think he's a guy that you'd be getting for Scott Lawton. I think Robertson is more realistic. Um, I, I don't know if Tree Living would want to give up Robertson and the first round pick. I know that the Flyers, well, they turned down a first, a late first round pick. It makes sense that it's Toronto. I mean, it's Toronto with the Boston pick. Now, Nick Robertson has dealt with injuries. I think he only, I think he played less than 10 games this year, has struggled to find his footing in the NHL, has never really carved out a niche at the NHL level, had a lot of hype coming out of juniors or, uh, yeah, I think he was in juniors or NCAA one, the two, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think that he would check a box for the Flyers because he's a left wing, a position that the Flyers aren't especially deep at. He's a guy with high upside and maybe a reclamation project that, I mean, 
the Flyers are in a position to take risks on that and take on chances similar to a Lowen Tippett, but maybe to a, a less extreme. And you would also get that 28th overall pick, which, yes, it's a late first round pick, but obviously we know that draft capital this year is much more important than years past. So if I'm Philadelphia, I would imagine that I would take that deal. I'm not sure if Toronto is there yet, but maybe by the time you get to the draft, which seems to be their end goal here, where they're going to string out a lot of this to the draft to see how desperate teams are and kind of try and incite a bidding war. Yeah. I mean, crazy. You know, the notion of building through the draft and, you know, Vegas, the way they did it, we'll get to that coming momentarily. <laughs> but um, let's get to Travis Konechny because I saw his name yesterday. I logged on to Twitter. And I see on the right-hand side trending, and I see Travis connected. I'm going, huh? That's the name that. Why is that? Why is TK trending? What's the latest there? Well, I think uh, the I think Pierre LeBur wrote wrote about it. Kurt, um, I forget his last name. I tagged him in the tweet, uh, but uh, Kurt something. I'll get it soon. Uh, they both alluded to Edmonton being in on Travis Konechny over the weekend. I checked in on it, and I was told that. Uh, They've shown decent interest. I've heard Philip Broberg's name as a guy tossed around as a potential return for Konechny or as part of a potential return. Uh, the Flyers want more. Obviously, Broberg's a guy who I believe he was drafted in 2019, eighth overall, has kind of been on a downward trend lately, was kind of in and out of the Edmonton lineup, depending if they're playing 60 or 70, has kind of been surpassed on that left side by Nurse and Matthias Ekholm and even Brett Kulak at times. So, I mean, I don't think an official offer was submitted from the Edmonton Oilers involving Philip Broberg. And I don't think that there's been any offer to this point that the Flyers have considered can't miss for Travis Konechny. But Edmonton seems to be the team that's the most hot and heavy about him. They're a team that could use help on that right wing. You know, down the middle, they're obviously stacked. On the left wing, you have guys like uh, Zach Hyman, who plays his offside, and Evander Kane. And last year, I think their their natural right wing that was highest on the depth chart was Kyler Yamamoto, and he's a bio candidate at this point. So yeah. Konechny would check a ton of boxes playing alongside a McDavid or a Dreisaitl or a Nugent Hopkins. I just don't know if the Flyers are going to get the value that's needed to move on from him. And much like Scott Lawton, he's bought into what Torts is selling. He's good for the room. A lot of what everyone has already said about what Lawton brings in terms of value, you could apply to Travis Konechny. Now, the difference is Travis Konechny is three years younger, and Travis Konechny has a much higher offensive ceiling and is just an overall better hockey player than Scott Lawton. He is their best forward right now. He's a guy that could, will probably be their best forward for this year and maybe even the year following. It isn't apples to apples between Scott Lawton and Travis Konechny. Let's face it, by the time that the Flyers are ready to compete, Scott Lawton will be in his early 30s and probably a fourth liner. Travis Konechny could maybe still be a good top sixer in his late 20s, and that does matter. And like I said, Travis Konechny is just a better hockey player and a more offensive contributor than Scott Lawton at this point. And the contract, again, like Scott Lawton, is very digestible at two years at five and a half million. So yeah. I don't think Travis Konechny is as likely to be moved as Lawton just because they will have a harder time having their price met. And I think it's a tougher sell moving on from Konechny because of the caliber of player and because of the age. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. And could you see him on, you know, a team with just a a stud star center? 45 goals minimum. Yeah, I mean, he's a 75-point player in that situation. On a team with depth and and an all-star center. I think that's what he would be at this point in his career. And for 5 mil on the cap, forget about it. Yeah. Jeez. Um, Let's talk about Carter Hart, the latest here. Another one of the guys there. There was a lot of smoke around Carter initially. Um, it's kind of calmed down a bit. Why is it calmed down a little bit? Uh, it's calmed down because of Hockey Canada. And Frank Saravalli alluded to it last Friday on Daily Faceoff Live, I believe it was, that um, teams are pumping the brakes until they get some clarity on what happens in Hockey Canada. What the results and what is unveiled for Hockey Canada ends up being, who knows at this point, but it does feel based on everybody I've talked to. And as Frank Saravalli has alluded to that until we figure out what exactly is coming, um, the decision from the NHL, the London police, the hockey Canada itself, I don't know if we're going to see a Carter Hart deal. Now I, the smoke was real, obviously me and Dave Pagnotta were the ones who put it out there. There was a ton of interest on Carter Hart. There continues to be a kind of ton of interest on Carter Hart. There still is negotiating on Carter Hart, but I don't know if teams are ready to pull the trigger and give up a haul. And as one person said to me, are they going to give our teams prepared to give up a major package for a guy who may not even be available to them? Yeah. And that could say you could take that for however you, you want it. But uh, I do think that there's a lot of trepidation on what is to come in terms relating to the hockey Canada announcement and our teams prepared to give up a King's ransom for a guy who on the ice is a very young, promising goaltender, but who knows if he's going to be made available to you in the media future. Yeah. That, until that is completely resolved, reports are out. Anybody that was on that team is in that situation. They just, it, it's an unknown. So uh, we'll see if uh, if if he is eventually moved. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to play out. But um, let's go to Kevin Hayes because he was a big name. Obviously, his exit day um, availability mentioned that you know he expected to be moved. His I believe his house is on the market. I'm not sure if it's sold. Um, I didn't buy it. But <laughs> when when you look at Hayes, where are we here? You know, there's a lot of smoke around the Columbus Blue Jackets. They've been very active. Yarmo obviously acquired Proroff. I mean, they make a huge deal with New Jersey to, I mean, their defense is really good. Yeah. You know, is Kevin Hayes still ticketed for, you know, Columbus or is there other teams in the mix, perhaps Boston with the Bergeron situation, perhaps Colorado with the Landeskaga lack of availability. What's the latest on Hayes? Obviously Columbus has been the favorite. Um, I know that they, they were discussing it uh, after the season came to a close and they shelved talks, I believe it was three or four weeks ago, they put the talks on hold to focus on the Provorov deal. Obviously, that took precedent for obvious reasons. And they had only kind of, they had left it at just talking about what a potential retention would be. They hadn't even gotten to what the Flyers would get into return and all that. They were just talking about how much the Flyers would have to retain. I know that the Flyers were expecting to revisit those talks. I'm not sure if they have. Because as you alluded to, the Blue Jackets just added $11 million a year onto their salary cap for next season between 
Damon Severson and Ivan Provorov. It accounts for $11 million. And now heading into this summer, I think they have just over $5.8 million to work with here. So I don't know if they're going to be able to invest X amount of dollars into Kevin Hayes. Now, to be fair, they have 12 forwards under uh, under contract. They have six defensemen under contract. They have two goaltenders under contract. So it's not like they have to... They're they're preparing for an abundance of um, an abundance of roster moves in the in the foreseeable future, and it actually might be even more than that. I'm not. I don't even think I was accounting for uh, the injured reserve. Yeah, so it's even more than that because you have Warinsky and Jake Bean as well. So your roster is pretty much well set. But do you want to? Let's just say, from a Flyers point of view, they want to make Kevin Hayes a five million dollar player. Is Columbus prepared to take on $5 million of Kevin Hayes when you only have $5.8 million of salary cap space as of right now? I think that's the major question. I have heard Colorado. Obviously, I think the guy who played 2C for them this year, JT Comfer, is scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent. I think that would make a lot of sense in a lot of ways. But I think that now you may be looking at a situation, and I'll eat my words on this. I thought that you could unload Hayes for four to if you made him a four and a half, five million dollar player. But because of the salary cap staying flat once again, aside from the one million dollar bump, it may seem that the Flyers, if they have any hope of moving him, may have to eat 50% of that contract. And the other thing that I was told this morning that everything is on the table as it pertains to Hayes, including a buyout. Wow. Which really shocked me I, because that's a hefty buyout. That'd be six years on the books Oof. of dead cap space. And I mean, I asked like if he could, would be able to come back or if a buyout and all I was told twice was that everything is on the table with Kevin Hayes. So if you're buying out Kevin Hayes, that's indicative of how much you think he isn't part of the solution here. And how much of a penalty you're prepared to swallow because that would be three years where it's 2.2, 4.75, and 4.75, and then 1.6 for three years of debt, just dead money completely. So I was wow. shocked to hear that they would consider a buyout, but I guess it's just uh, tales of the times with the flat salary cap. Wow. Um, you know, the other thing for Columbus, they don't have a lot of cap space and they still need to put somebody in between the pipes, even a yeah. goaltending. I mean, Will are you going to make Elvis? all those moves? Yeah, Elvis is there. I mean, they trade Corpy, right? They yeah, trade Corpusalo. Um, Tarasov, I think, is their other guy. Yeah, I mean, you've got to, if you're going to really take a step up, you got to improve that goaltending. Yeah, they, yeah, Daniel um, Tarasov and Elvis Merzlikens. Merzlikens is getting paid $5.4 million, by the way. This is an impossible contract to move. Um, and he's under contract till 2627. Yeah, and that's bananas, right? Yeah, and you know, there still is a feeling that they want like a top line center. Like I've heard a lot of people online, like from Columbus's standpoint, mention Elias Pedersen or not Pedersen, uh, Elias Lindholm. Yeah, and if you're adding Kevin Hayes for even four million dollars a year, like that's a guy that you would presume is going to be playing on your second line at that ticket, maybe your third line. And I look at Columbus's roster and they have a, a few guys like in that range, in that mold with Corrali at 2.5, Jenner, their captain at 3.75, Jack Roslovic at $4 million. So are you going to want to add another guy in that four, four and a half million dollar uh, range 
for three more years. And I think that's the tough sell. And look, like I said, I'll eat my words on it. Like, obviously, I thought the cap was going to be bumping up more than just a million dollars. But I thought had you made him a four and a half million dollar player, you could have found a, a taker for him. But clearly, with money being so hard to move in the NHL and indicative of that was what the uh, the LA Kings paid to part with Peterson and Sean Walker. I mean, it's gotten the Flyers at least considering everything on the table, and that includes a buyout, and it would be a hefty buyout. Yeah, and then, I mean, after this next season, too, you also have Cole Sillinger that's going to uh, come off as ELC. He'll be restricted. He's going to get a bump. And, I mean, it's not just about this year You get, when you're talking Ken about Johnson cap, as well. Yeah, I mean, you got to project forward as as well with that. So, yeah. Um, whew, man, crazy. Uh, the RFAs for the Flyers, Kate Frost in York. Is that something that's going to be handled down the line here? Yeah, I don't think that's a pressing issue. Obviously, they're all under control. Um, I think the only one with Arbright's is Noah Cates. I think that's something that will be, you know, tackled at the at the at the NHL draft when all the agents are present and whatnot. Not to say they'll get done at the draft, but I think the ice will start to get broken uh, at the NHL draft, and those deals will probably come down the pike. I would say in July at some time, like. I mean, is are any of those guys going to get major, major deals? Like, I think you're going to be looking at a bridge deal for Cam York, probably something in the form of what we saw Travis Sanheim get two summers ago. Or, no, it wasn't two summers ago. I think it was three summers ago. Which one yeah. was it? Uh, yeah, in 2019, where you got, like, the $3.5 million a year. Yeah. Or whenever it was. So, I mean, um, and then... Noah Cates, I mean, he's a guy we've talked about him before. Like, I would be comfortable going more longer term with him. I think I use Nicolas Roy as an example. I, I think it's like six a four-year year deal. Four, yeah, six exactly. Yeah. yeah, so that I would be more comfortable with Noah Cates. Morgan Frost is interesting. I do think that it is ultimately a bridge deal with Morgan Frost. Maybe something in the neighborhood of, of uh, Owen Tippett, maybe $2.5 million a year, something like that. But he's another guy that I think that uh, if the price is right, they would consider going longer term. But it feels like most of these guys, or the three of them are more likely to get the bridge deals. I And this is just a hunch. I would just say that if I had to kind of handicap it, Noah Cates is the one to have the best shot of getting a longer term deal. I agree. But, at the, but all of them will probably be dealt with sometime in July. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think Kate's is the. I think I could see Kate's coming in at five years. I could definitely see that. Um, like five oh, years, twenty million dollars, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Absolutely. Um, I didn't ask you about Tony D'Angelo. What's the latest on Tony? It, to me, this looks like a, a on the draft floor as the draft is happening. Even a day two type draft trade, if it were, were to take place, seems like last year. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, Tony D'Angelo, I mean, even Fried reported it last week that the Flyers are trying to find ways to move on from him. I think he's going to be like a secondary option for a lot of guys. And, you know, we, we talked about it last week. Like, look at what Damon Severson went for. Now, Damon Severson's a very good defenseman, probably, you know, a, a very good second pair guy. That's how I would rate him. He got the Travis Sanheim deal. And he, in a lot of ways, he's kind of like a right-handed version of Travis Sanheim. Yeah. Um, but would you rather get locked into a seven-year deal with a guy, I believe Severson is, how old is he, 28 years old? Uh, yeah, yeah, 28 yeah, years old. Mm -hmm. So would you rather get locked into a seven-year deal with a 28-year-old? Or would you rather pay a third-round pick or whatever asset to take a one-year flyer on a Tony D'Angelo? 
and you look at the right shot market now on the back end in the free agent pool, like it's few and far between. You have Dumba and you have Klingberg, especially with Severson off the market. Yeah, You know, Klingberg has had a bad two years, if you ask me. And Dumba has kind of had a rocky go as of late as well. So, I mean, if I'm a team and I need a right shot defenseman to play on your second pair and maybe help you on the power play, would I rather get in mixed in with a contract with a Klingberg or a Dumba or would I rather pay an asset for Tony D'Angelo? And look, D'Angelo didn't have a great year this year, but he still scored 46 points in 70 games. Yeah. He still has scored, I think he has 99 points in the last two regular seasons as a defenseman. He's a useful defenseman if played in the right way. Yeah, you just situational. Exactly. He, but you could find value for him. Now, you know, John Klingberg, you could probably get him on a one-year deal at $3 million. But yeah. would you rather go for Klingberg or would you rather go for Tony D'Angelo? I think that's what teams are going to ask themselves and they'll get a better idea of what route they want to go down at the draft in two weeks' time. Yeah. Um, is there a guy we're not even looking at that we're not talking about that you think could shock us? I mean, Atkinson, I don't see it because he's coming off a year where he didn't play. Obviously, Turier, no. Um, I mean, like, uh, like maybe you could look at a Sandheim or Aristolainen, but I think Sandheim, the contract is at least at this juncture coming off the season is borderline impossible to move. Uh, Ristolainen, I mean, I um, think maybe, yeah, Farabee, maybe, but again, it's it's the longer term contracts that even for decent players are starting to cause issues, in my opinion, to move yeah. via trade. Like, yeah. even decent players are just hard to move when you have a longer term deal. Like, yeah. look, look at Ivan Provorov, like, the guy is still a good hockey player, but they even had had redemption on his salary, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, I think in just the current, current um, economic climate of the NHL, it is just borderline impossible to move those longer term deals. Like, and without for somebody a guy like retaining Fer- something. Yeah. And for a guy like Farabee, who came off of a tough year, obviously the neck surgery didn't have the year he wanted because he probably wasn't healthy until sometime in the middle of winter and obviously had his differences with John Tortorella along the way. I mean, you're probably going to get pennies on the dollar because he still has, what, five years at $5 million left coming off of a bad season in his, like, based on his standards. So, I mean, I don't see it, but I'm sure, like, who knows? Like, I don't think either of these guys are going to get moved just because I don't know what kind of value they have. But could a team come knocking and throw you a fifth-round pick for a Lazinski or an Allison? Like, maybe. But yeah. I think the Flyers are prepared to give those two guys a final kick at the can. Like, I think this is the final kick at the can for guys like Lazinski and Wade Allison. Yeah, I would agree. Lazinski will be a, an unrestricted free agent after this year. Allison will be uh, restricted or eligible. Um, let's the, the cup final. Let's touch on it real quick because Vegas uh, gets it done. They just actually boat raced Florida last night. They overwhelmed them the whole series, frankly. You know, Florida, I think the layoff hurt them, obviously. You see the injuries that they were dealing with with Aaron Eckblad. I mean, do you see what he went through? Holy shit. That's crazy. And then in game three, Kachuk with a fractured sternum couldn't go last night, but tried to play. His brother had to help him out of bed after his nap after game four. I mean, it's uh, Vegas full value. They were, they're a great team. There's no doubt about it. And I think part of it, Ant, and I caught a lot of criticism for this, is, you know, Vegas comes into the league. And obviously, the first expansion draft exploited a lot of teams, including Florida. <laughs> Big part of that. 
but this notion they didn't have any bag contracts on they had no scar tissue through the organization and then you couple that with the pandemic and the flat cap and not the long-term bag commitments that they had and a really aggressive approach in the front office this team was not built through the nhl draft this team was built through well obviously the expansion draft and then tweaking along the way with really kind of emotionless moves with guys whether it's mark andre Fleury or others to build a cup winner. I mean, look at the key components of that team. They were all acquired via trade or free agency. And I mean, from Petrangelo and, you know, Jack Eichel, all these guys, it's the team that they built. They earned the cup. And look at some of the guys they threw overboard along the way. Yeah. Like they, they had some blunders along the way. Like you look at, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> what they like, let's just say the, the trade for Evgeny Dodonov blew up in their face. And then yep. the trade that they tried to trade him to Anaheim and then it got circumvented. And, you know, you trade Nick Suzuki to bring in Max Pacioretty and then you throw Pacioretty overboard to the uh, to the Carolina Hurricanes. You look at guys that they moved on from early on, like Tuck. a Nate Schmidt or Alex Tuck. And um, who's the other guy? David Perron, like. Mm-hmm. This was a, a team that had a lot of turnover, and at times they looked goofy doing it. Like, there it wasn't too long ago that teams were heartless. It. Yeah, heartless. You know, this isn't NHL 23. This isn't a video game. Like, that's what a lot of people were saying. But look, they kept going. They kept going. They kept going. They kept changing coaches. And they it was changed. always established coaches, right? Like, yeah. it was Gallant. It was DeBoer. It was Cassidy. And like you said, every time a big player was on the market, Vegas was right in there. You know, Pet- Pietrangelo becomes a free agent. They're right in there. Uh, Mark Stone is on the market. They're right in there. I remember they were the front runner for Eric Carlson at yep. the 2019 trade deadline. And I believe that the deal fell apart at the just at the finish line before the deadline to bring Carlson to um, to bring him to Vegas. And then they turn around and they trade a first, a second and a third for Thomas Tatar from the Detroit Red Wings. So they Crazy. have been they've been a team that has just really just gone to the beat of their own drum they've really just done things their way unconventional to your point i think the only player on their roster that was drafted by them and not expansion draft but actually drafted by them was nikola haig i think that's the only guy mm-hmm. and you have a uh, the misfits that stuck around through it all and marcia so and carlson and theodore yeah. and uh, riley smith i believe there's another one that i'm missing in there but uh it, it's been real oh Braden mcnab yeah that's another one. And you look at that back end, man. You get the size, the composure, and the experience, and obviously the talent. Like you have two number one defensemen on that back end in Theodore and Pietrangelo. You have good veterans who have been there before, and a guy like Martinez. I really like Braden McNabb, some youth and White Cloud and Nikola Haig. Just uh, a really good team, and they do it with Aiden Hill between the pipes. And I don't know if you saw the tweet today. But someone pulled it up from when they acquired Hill from the Sharks uh, last summer. And someone responded with, awesome, plan the parade. So uh, <laughs> that was a pretty funny receipt. I believe it was on Daily Faceoff's Instagram page. So like, that gave fantastic. me a good chuckle this morning. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, some shrewd, shrewd moves. And, you know, they go out in the offseason. They've been shrewd with their coaches as well. Gallant, obviously, DeBoer. They end up with Bruce Cassidy. Bruce Cassidy watches the Boston Bruins set an NHL record for regular season, but he wins the cup. The Bruins go out in the first round. That's another storyline of this whole thing. And I saw Drew Livingston put out this tweet. He says, you simply don't win a cup without an elite top pair defenseman. 
here's the guys from this year's Vegas Golden Knights all the way back to 2007. Petrangelo, McCarr in 2022, Hedman in 20 and 21 with Tampa Bay. Petrangelo with St. Louis in 2019. Uh, Carlson with the Washington Capitals. He has Latang here in 2017, but he actually wasn't healthy, so he didn't play. So that's the that's one. That's the one exception. Yeah. But Latang in 2016, Duncan Keith in 2015, Dowdy, Keith in 13 and 14, Dowdy in 2012, Chara for the Bruins in 2011, Keith in 2010, Latang in 2009, Nick Lidstrom in 2008, and Scott Niedermeyer in 2007. And Chris Pronger. And Chris Pronger. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty darn wild. You know, and you I think the this. other thing, and this is the only reason why, and this is obviously a bit of a stretch because these guys aren't cup caliber defensemen yet, but you know, you look at Sanheim, you look at Ristolainen, and two guys that maybe were signed to contracts that given the state of the franchise shouldn't have been, shouldn't have gotten them. And two guys that at times have been whipping poison, whipping boys is enough for me to say on, from two separate sides of the fan base, like the Sanheim camp and the Ristolainen camp. But I think that they're both can play good integral parts for this organization with younger defensemen. And you look at all the defense, all those teams that won the Stanley cups. Like you look at the, the Chicago Blackhawks and yeah, they had Keith and Seabrook who were upper echelon, upper echelon defensemen at that time, but you had veterans like Brent Sopel. You had veterans like Nick Boynton. You had Johnny Oduya. You had Nicholas Jalmerson. Then you look at the LA Kings. Like I remember they brought in Robin Regeer. They brought in Willie Mitchell. They had a guy already on their team like a Matt Green. The Pittsburgh Penguins, you bring in Ron Hainsey. You bring in um, uh, Trevor Daly. Even for the for the Vegas Golden Knights, like you brought in an Alec Martinez a few years ago. Yeah. You, you signed a Pietrangelo, obviously. He's an elite caliber. But my point is, is that you still need those veteran guys even on cup caliber teams. Now, is Ristolainen or Sanheim in that caliber? Obviously not. But I do think it is important to have those veteran guys who could play top four roles with younger guys, like with a Ronnie Adder, with a Zamula, with a York. So, I mean, I at least with the Flyers, they're going to try and have those types of guys on the roster because I think that when you saw guys like Provorov and Hag, that Robert Hag, that is, and Gostin Spear and Sanheim coming up five, six years ago, they didn't have that. And that was one of the reasons that caused for the lack of development at times. Yeah, it, that that's amazing. Trangelo, a Hockey Hall of Famer? I think so. I love two, Alex Petrangelo. Yeah, I mean, two cups now with two different teams. A gold medal. Yeah. Um, a great World leader. Cup of Hockey. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's ever won a Norris, which obviously you can knock against him. But uh, for me, he is, he's been my favorite defenseman going back to my buddy, Chad will laugh about this because back when we were in high school, I'd always say how much I loved Alex Petriangelo, but uh, he's been my favorite defenseman for the last 12 years or so. I love the way he plays very smooth skater. He's composed. Um, and I, you know, in early on of Ivan Provorov's career, I thought he had like a pro uh, Pietrangelo type of game. And um, obviously he never came close to Alex Petriangelo. But I think Pietrangelo was a guy who really benefited from getting a partner like Jay Bowmeister earlier on in his career. Yeah. And they Agreed. were such a good pairing together in St. Louis. They played together at the 2014 uh, Olympics with Team Canada. They played together, I believe, as well at the 2016 World Cup of Hockey. 
They were obviously the top pair for St. Louis when they won the Stanley Cup in 2019. I think he is. I think he's a top five defenseman of the last decade in the NHL and two cups, a gold medal, World Cup of Hockey. I'm yeah, not resume. sure if he won him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think he's, he's a, I think he won the World Juniors too. Uh, so, I mean, uh, for me, he is. He's an absolute Hall of Famer, but obviously uh, it's a very subjective, uh, a very subjective thing and topic. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think he'll he'll end up there as well. And who knows the way that Vegas is built, they could go for another run next year. And congratulations to Jack, Jack Eichel too, by the way. He gets yep. out of Buffalo and the stink of losing. That's to me. That's why you don't tank. Um, you know, look at all the players that left. Really good players. Ryan O'Reilly had to get out of Buffalo because he the stink wore on him so bad. Jack Eichel. Obviously, there was issues with medical. And the procedure that he wanted done, they wanted done, blah, blah, blah. And there's other players, too, out of Buffalo that um, had to get out of there because the losing just wore them out. Um, Eichel becomes the first $10 million-plus player to win the Stanley Cup. First yep. one ever. Yep. And who would have thought that, let's say, a year or two ago, we'd be saying that Eichel won a Stanley Cup before Connor McDavid? Yeah, and Austin Matthews. And Austin Matthews. Yeah, that Abs- is bananas. It's crazy. He and he was like, good. He was good. You know what? I think that once upon a time there was an argument to be made that he was a better player than Austin Matthews. Right before the pandemic, I thought Jack Eichel was really hitting his stride. Obviously, got destroyed with injuries, the trade, the surgeries, all that. But I mean, he really showed up and he played well. Was he a superstar far and away? Con Smythe winner? No. Marshall won the Con Smythe, but I think he proved to everyone that he's worth his contract and that he is a number one center. And I mean, I think at times he's shown elite play. He's not quite there yet, but in my opinion, he's a top 10 center in the NHL. Um, Nolan Patrick <laughs> as a member of the Vegas all nights. I don't just... want to dogpile on Nolan Patrick. I mean, I know, I I, I, it's crazy that this guy is still being talked about in Philadelphia two years post being traded and how many games has he played since leaving the Flyers? 25. 12? So two goals and five assists. In 25 games. Yeah. Four years, four-year NHL player total. I missed this whole year again. Obviously missed the whole year with the Flyers in 1920. In he's played 222 games. He's got 32 goals, 45 assists, 77 points. That's crazy. <sighs> Number two yeah. overall pick. I mean, I, I think the talent was all there and everything. Um. But the motor, I don't think the belly is there with him. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Um, I just wanted to send out, I didn't want to put a tweet out or anything, but um, to all the athletic writers that yeah. cover this great game of hockey um, that got let go, um, I'm outraged for you because I think it's bullshit. I think, you know, when they sold, obviously, the New York Times, you, you kind of saw the writing on the wall. Um, I think the strategy now with the athletic is off. I think it was always about local writers covering games in a very unique way. And I understand the NFL and EPL is their, their highest area of traction. Um, but there's a lot of talented writers that lost their job in the last week or so. And I feel for you because I, I lost my radio job. I know what it's like. It sucks. You don't know what's next, but I don't like what the athletic did here. You see it year in and year out. Boy, they are as ruthless as they come. And, you know, it didn't stop there. I mean, we felt it up here in Canada too, Bell Media. They they shut down a TSN radio 1200 in, or was it 1260 in Edmonton? 
just closed the station, went off the air at 11 a.m. And uh, I think a lot of Americans will know uh, the name Jason Greger as he yep. hosts the he DFO Rundown with Frank. Yeah, And he he's an awesome host up here and just completely closed down that station today abruptly. And uh, also, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Simon, uh, uh, Sean Simpson. That's Sean, it. Sean, uh, yeah. Sean Simpson was laid off today as well uh, as one of the morning hosts in TSN 1200 in Ottawa. And he's obviously a former draft pick and uh, in the NHL, former goaltender. And he's done a really good job. I've had him on my podcast before. I've been on their show before. Yeah, I know. And, you know, it, it sucks because obviously people know now that I do uh, part-time work with TSN 690 in Montreal. So this is something that kind of hits close to home for me in a lot of ways. And, you know, for all of us trying to make a living here in sports media, it sucks that even when you're doing a good job, the rug can be pulled out from under you. And it's just not fair. And I don't, like you said, I don't like the strategy. Uh, I don't know where am radio in in canada's going obviously like i would imagine dodo bird i will tell you that yeah this may be like the big stations it's a very as you know man you have much more experience in than i it's a very uh, it's a top heavy profession and although there's not a lot of room for little guys yeah and there's not even a lot of room for the big guys anymore either because there's just there's too much competition for radio and radio has to be too repetitive you know radios because you don't know who's tuning in and when they're tuning in so you have to constantly regurgitate the same hot topic and that's where the hot take has come in and you know here in philadelphia it's eagles 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 because if somebody tunes in and you're talking about something else and that's the more the most desired thing to hear about that's why they talk about it non-stop but podcasts like this and i love that there's podcasts like for the flyers there's podcasts of every ilk there's podcasts from just fans ranting there's podcasts from experts there's podcasts you know from all levels of production whether that's this podcast flyers daily brotherly puck which you're a part of with dan whether it's you know broad street hockey or you know flyers um uh, what's it called uh, locked on with russ yeah, locked on that he does and that locked on network and there's so many different whatever you're in the mood for it's out there there's great content for you just because it's not on the radio just because it's on the radio i said this to my uh, old radio partner harry just because you're on the radio doesn't mean i'm listening on the radio <laughs> so that's a, there's and great like the time slot too mm-hmm. great alternative so uh for all those athletic writers um we're feeling for you here and uh, we hope for the best for for everybody to land on their feet and continue their profession and um the other thing too is you you know, there are transferable skills to other industries as well, if you choose to do that. So just because you've been covering sports doesn't mean you can't do something else. So um, to all those guys, best of luck. So we'll wrap it up there, Ant. Well, we went over an hour. We haven't done that in a while. I mean, June 14th, we're going over an hour. That's <laughs> uh, but this has been a special edition of uh, Stick to Hockey Live, episode 70. Follow Ant on Twitter at AbeMarco25. Also on the great website, Panyota and all the guys up there and Ant's work there at thefourthperiod.com. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a five-star rating and review and we'll talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great day, everybody. Everybody.